in a series, or we're starting a series, the characteristics of a loving church are the characteristics of a loving relationships. And so Paul in Romans chapter 12, so you can either turn on your Bibles or turn in your Bibles, whether you have electronic Bibles or you have old school Bibles with actual pages and all of that other stuff. So you can either turn them on or turn, turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. And so we're going to look at verses 9 through 21. We're not going to make it all the way through all of those verses this morning, but we're going to look at the characteristics of a loving church are the characteristics of loving relationships. You see, uh, Paul writes the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is a, it's a highly doctrinal book. It's, a, it's, a, it's like systematic theology that it goes through the doctrines of the faith, but by the time you get to Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to shift gears, and it becomes very, very practical about how to, how to put these things in motions and how to put these things in place in your life. Now, I don't know if you follow professional baseball or not, but my family from Texas, uh, my family, especially my mom, is just like a huge Houston Astros fan. And so in the early 2000 and then 2005, the Houston Astros went to the World Series, uh, true story, my mom started having heart problems when they were going for the pennant and all of that other stuff. And so she started having heart, heart palpitations and all these other things. So she goes to the doctor through a series of questions. And they did some tests and everything. The doctor realized and the doctor actually told my mom that you have to quit watching the Houston Astros. Because that's what's calling your, causing your heart problems. Because there were just some exciting games. And then during that period, there was a group of men and they were called the Killer Bees. And these guys played for the Houston Astros. All of their last names started with, with the letter B. Uh, Craig Biggio, Lance Berkman, Chris Burke, and Jeff Bagwell. And so they were named the, 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 the Killer Bees. And so they were credited as being very successful or being the secret or, or being the, the guys that brought success to the Houston Astros. The fact is, people would start dry, uh, dressing up in, in B outfits and going to the games. And then when, when Biggio or Berkman or Lance Burke or, or Bagwell would hit a home run or make a play or whatever, whatever, they would start buzzing like bees and doing this. Now, if you're a Texan, that's just great fun. And so that's, and so that's what they would do. And so, so they had the killer bees. The fact is, Drake McClain, the owner of the Astros, credited the killer bees with much of their success. And after all those guys left and retired, that the Astros have gone into a slump, which many of you know. And so, so but as a result of that, he says the killer bees were, is what gave them success into baseball. Well, we come to Romans chapter 12 and all of a sudden, we identify and we can look in Scripture and see Paul had some, some killer bees. He had some killer bees of the local church. He had some killer bees of, of how to have loving relationships. And so today, we're going to go through four of the killer bees, and then next week, we'll finish this up. Here's what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He said, let love be genuine. So there, all of a sudden, you can see the first one, right? And so you begin to see these as you walk through this. Listen, this is a, this is a very simple message to preach. This is very easy to preach because it's just, it's just right here. Abhorb what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute, uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but as associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. But for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome by, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then Jesus put it this way in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said a little bit different way, but this is what Jesus says. He says, so a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So in other, in other words, what Jesus was saying was this. The one way that people will know that you're Christ's followers, the one way that people will know that you're Christians or disciples of his is not by a denominational tag that you hang on your name, not where you go to church, not where you go on Sunday morning or if you go Saturday night or any of that other stuff, not whether you read the Bible or don't read the Bible, but what he was saying is how people will know you are his disciple as the love that you have for one another. And so Paul comes to the last section of Romans, and, and it, it becomes very, very practical when we start looking at this because the question is, the question that Paul is asking is, is how do I show love? How do I show love in relationships, and how do I show love in this context, in the context of a church family? And so the issue is not so much what does it mean, but how do I do that? I mean, how do I flesh that, this out? And so when you look at these passages, you realize that Paul's talking to two groups of people or how to love two different groups of people. Uh, verses 9 through 16 is how to show love to your church family, how to show love to, to believers. And then 17 through 21, it's how do you show love to those who are not believers or how do you show love to those that are difficult to love? How do you show love to, man, how do you show love to your enemies? And so this morning, we're just going to look at the first four killer bees as we walk through this. The first killer bee is this, is that if you're going to have loving relationships in a church, if you're going to have loving relationships with each other, the first thing is you have to do is you have to be genuine. In other words, what Paul is saying, true love, biblical love, love is genuine. In other words, that love is with, well, as the New American Standard would say, love is without hypocrisy. Love is without wearing masks. See, a lot of us, we have a tendency to wear masks, Right? And there's sometimes that, especially in church, that, that I just want to pause sometimes and preach and say, okay, okay, let's everybody right now, let's just, let's just reach up and let's just grab and let's pull that church mask off, right? You know, the church mask that we walk in here with, and so many times we think, you know what, I have to have this church mask. But, but what Paul is saying is that love is genuine. Love is honest. Love is without hypocrisy. See, see we know that the word hypocrisy was spoken of a, of a Greek actor. And it was a Greek actor that would play multiple roles in a play to where they would come onto the platform and they would wear one mask and they would go off the platform and come back onto the plat platform with a different mask. That individual, that actor, was called in their culture a hypocrite. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. It's from a person that wears multiple masks. In other words, that if you're not careful, you will have multiple masks. You will have your, you will have your church mask and then you can have your friend's mask you can have your, your, your husband mask, your wife mask, your, your parent mask. You could have your, your, your guy's mask or your buddy's mask or your hobby's mask or, or maybe your work mask. And so, so you get to the point to where whichever circle of your head, you just put that mask on. But what Paul is saying is he's saying that real love is transparent. Real love is genuine. Real love doesn't wear a mask. In other words, what Paul is saying that if you're going to have deep relationships, if you're truly going to love others and they're going to be able to love you, then you have to be yourself. 
The problem is there's a lot of people that don't even realize they're wearing masks. And there's a lot of people that have been living life like that so much that, the, that they go through life saying, I, I'll just be whoever you want me to be. And in that situation or that context that you'll never find deep relationships. In, in the South, I hear this a lot. And every once in a while I hear this, and maybe you've heard this statement where people will say, you know what? And I don't like them, but, but I love them in the Lord. You guys ever heard that, right? Some of you have. I, yeah, so, so or, or you'll hear people say, well, you know what? The Bible never said that I had to like them. But the Bible said I, I have to love them. So I may not love the, like them, but I, I love them. You ever heard that? Okay, take off your church mask. Okay, right, okay. Right, so a lot of us have said that, right? In, in Texas, we, we have something that, 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 that we would say like, like, bless your heart. And so whatever in Texas, whatever said, someone says, bless your heart, that, that's, just, that's church mass. That really means this, you're an idiot, right? Like, yeah, so it's just, it's just something that's done in the South to where, to where you say, hey, you know what? You know about Mary? Yeah, I'll marry, bless her heart. You know, Mary's an idiot. And so I actually said it last night. I had a friend that came to church at Saturday night service, and he's walking in, and he's dying laughing. He says, Charlie, you're not going to believe what happened to me. My wife and I, we got halfway here in the car. I looked over at my wife, and I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. I don't have any shoes on. Because I forgot my shoes. And I looked at it and says, bless your heart. And so, you know, because that's just normal. That's just what we said. Like, you're an idiot, Steve. I mean, how, you know, I was thankful it was just his shoes, honestly. But, but, uh, but, it's, and so, but in, the, in the South, we have these sayings like, well, I may not like that person, but, but I love them in the Lord. Listen, really, you know what really what you're saying? I hate your guts. Right? See, Augustine would say this. It is impossible for us to separate human feelings from spiritual feelings. And what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that, that love is just genuine. In other words, it's not phony. There is a lot of phony love in our world, right? I think one of the greatest sins of Scripture is when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. It's just a phony love. And there's a lot of phony love in this world. There's a lot of people that would say they, will love, they love you and that they care about you. And it's either with a mask, it's either phony, it's not real. Listen, our world is hungry for genuine love. It's where people are transparent, people are honest, and people are real. And, and so the question is, why don't some people love genuinely? Why don't people, some people love honestly? Why do people wear masks? I, I, I think there's several reasons, and I think one of the deepest reasons is this, is that is I think because they're insecure. And I think because they don't know who they are in, in Christ. And I think maybe because they've, they've been hurt, they've been rejected, they've been betrayed. They've, they met some people that had some masks, and it was a little bit of a phony love, and they had been betrayed, and they'd been hurt, and all of those other things. And and then out of insecurity, they come into relationships and they, they don't know who they are, are in Christ. And so they, they start believing some things like, if, if you really knew me, if you really knew who I, who I am, and if you really knew some of the things I've done, if you really knew some of my hurt, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Because they don't know that they're totally and completely forgiven in Christ. They don't know that they're, that they're no longer betrayal and all those voices of the past. But they're a child of God. 
And out of the insecurities, they have come to believe that I've got to wear these masks. Because if you really knew me, in other words, they're afraid of being rejected again. And as a result of that, that individual never has deep relationships. And Paul is trying to get the church in Rome to understand that biblical love is not a fake love. It's not a phony love. That biblical love is just this genuine love. And that, and that true love stands against some things. And so he goes on because it's, it's honest and it's transparent and it's real. And so Paul goes on and he says, abhorred what is, what is evil or, or hate what is evil. And then he goes even deeper. He says, and so you hate what is evil, but you have to hold fast to what is, what is good. So, so listen, let me tell you something. Love without standards is totally worthless. See, there's some people that believe, well, if, if, you, if you have love, if you're full of love, then you will never stand up for anything. You will never stand against anything. You will never say any of the hard things. Listen, that is absolutely false. Love without standards is like worthless. That word in the Greek, when Paul says that we have to hate what is evil, the word hate in Greek literally means this, to walk away from, to draw away from, to get away from. In other words, that, that there are some things as believers, there are some things as Christians that God calls us that we just, we just hate. There are some things that God hates. You know why God hates some things? You know why God hates evil? You know why God hates sin? Because evil and sin hurts people. It hurts people. It damages people. It scars people. Some of, those, some of the damages are, are deep, but they carry them with a lifetime. And so there's a lot of people that say, you know what, if, if you're filled with love, you'll never hate anything, but Scripture is scripture's different than that. It says something. Fact is, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, there's about seven things that God says that, that he just hates. And the reason he hates it, you'll see this, is because it hurts people. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven things that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. In other words, that individual that has those cutting eyes or has that condescending look to where, where you just say something, you just do something, you walk in a room, and they look at you in such a way that you just know they think that they're better than you. Or they're condescending with their eyes. Or they're looking down on you. You just know that you're not acceptable to them. And so he goes on, haughty eyes, a lion tongue, and heads, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. You, all of a sudden, you start getting a theme through here. It's just gossip and slander and lies and damaging uh, people's uh, integrity. And one who sows discord among the brothers. And so, so all of a sudden, the Bible says, God says, there are some things that he hates. There's some things that we should hate. There's some things that we should draw away from. We should draw away from those people that spread hate or lies or gossip or slander. And I'm telling you, I've, I've told my family this uh, ever since I can remember. I've told the church this. If you're around that individual that's always gossiping and slandering and talking about someone else, guess what? Guess who she or he is talking to when you're talking about when you're not there? And so what the Bible says is that we should hate those or hate that action. This sows discord among the brothers to where there's always dissension, there's always gossip, there's always slander. Because when you look at this, it destroys people. And then he goes all deeper and he says, oh, and you have to hold fast to what is good. 
That word hold fast is, is a really interesting word. Fact is, the only other places that word is used in the Bible is talking about a marriage relationship where it was cling to, be wedded to. And so what he's saying is, is that you should be wedded to or you should cling to what is good. In other words, that you should be wedded to or married to or cling to what is good to where evil doesn't have any place in your life, to where love can be genuine and real and not phony. The second B is this in relationships is we have to learn to be courteous. I was a little bit deeper, but as he starts fleshing this out in the scripture, and in other words, that we ought to be courteous to one another, we ought to be careful of one another's needs, uh, we, we ought to be sensitive to the needs of others. Uh, verse 10, the Bible says this, we should love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So this is really a play on two Greek words. There's four Greek words for, for love. There is, a, there is a Greek word for sexual love. There is a Greek word for godly love or sacrificial love. There's a Greek word for brotherly love. And then there's a Greek word for, for like a family love. And so Paul takes those last two Greek words, a brotherly love and a family love, and he makes a compound word out of that when he uses this word in, in love. In other words, he's saying this, in the church bodies, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should have this family brotherly love. We should have this brotherly love. We should have this love for each other that we're in, we're in this together. We have relationships with one another. And, and it's, it's this family relationships. There's this closeness. And so it suggests, it suggests the love of a family to where we, we complement each other and we encourage one another, we affirm one another. He says this, outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, outdo one another in expressing our appreciation. Outdo one another in affirming one another and encourage one another and supporting one another. And he goes on a little bit deeper and he says, in showing, in showing honor. Philip's translation of this verse would say this, is be willing to let other people get the credit. President Ronald Reagan had on his desk a saying that said this, says a man or a woman can, can accomplish great things if they no longer care who gets the credit. In other words, to where you want to pass on the credit, you want to honor one another, you want to affirm one another, you want to compliment one another. We live in a time to where there's not a lot of encouragement, right? But we live in a time, to, especially in our world, to where the art of writing a thank you note is it's just going away. To where someone can bless someone, someone can do something nice for someone, and there's no thank you. There's no appreciation. There's no affirmation of thank you how that blessed me. Thank you how that helped me. Thank you for what that did for me in my life. To where we encourage one another and we support one another. And we live in a family relationship to where we understand that what the scripture says is we're to outdo one another in encouraging, affirming, complimenting, supporting, comforting. I mean, we live in a world where there's not a lot of encouragement going on, right? And what Paul says, what Jesus said, that in the church, that our love should be so strong for one another, that we're our greatest cheerleaders, we're our, each other's greatest encouragers, as we support one another, as we spur one another on. The third killer B is this. It says to be, just be contagious. Verse 11, uh, Paul goes on and says, do not be slothful in zeal or do not be lazy in zeal. 
be fervent in the spirit. And he goes on and says, serve the Lord. In other words, that, that our relationship with God should be so on fire, or what the, what the Greek says, on the Spirit's fire, to where we are, our relationship with Him is contagious to others. In other words, says, there's a spiritual fervor in our life. There's a spiritual boiling point in our life. And to where we have this passion about our relationship. We have this passion about the church. I mean, have you noticed there are some people that it's like they have no, in, no, no passion in life. They have no intensity in life. And, and it's, it's like they don't really get excited about anything. And, and, and I met some Christians like that, right? I met some Christians that it's, it's almost like they were baptized in lemon juice. I mean, it's just like they're sour and they're just depressed and they're just sad. And there's no passion in their life. There's no intensity in their life. There's no excitement in our life. And so what Paul is saying is that we, because of what we have in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, we should have this, this enthusiasm about us, this excitement about us, because we have something that the world does not have. We've talked about this a lot here at Fellowship of the Rockies, that enthusiasm comes not from being an extrovert or an in- introvert or how you're wired or anything like that. Enthusiasm comes from from two Greek words, in theos, which means in God, that when we have a relationship with God, there's this passion that's come, there's this uh, uh, energy that comes, there's this intensity that comes, because we have, this, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And our relationship with Him should spill over into others to where it's just, it's just contagious. I mean, I know some people that, man, they're pretty fired up about their hobby. And I may not even like their hobby, but I'm, when I'm around them, they're so passionate about that hobby. I mean, I get excited about it when I'm with my mom. I mean, I'm not a big baseball fan. I'm not a big Houston Astros fan. But when, I'm, when, when I am with my mom, I mean, her passion for the Houston Astros, uh, it spills over to where all of a sudden I get kind of contagious about the Houston Astros. I mean, she still cannot to this day understand why I don't watch every game of the Houston Astros. She doesn't miss a game. She knows everything about them. And so we as believers, we should have this passion. The fact is, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, he spoke into seven churches. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he speaks into the church at Laodicea. And this is what he says. He says, I know of your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. In other words, he says, I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... Neither, hot, neither cold, hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, let, let's unpack that. Let's understand what that means. Because there's a lot of people that, that say a lot of different things about that verse. And so I've taught you here at Fellowship of the Rockies that one of the ways that we understand Scripture is understanding the context in which it was written, the culture in which it was written. Because when we understand that, it makes it clear. Because, listen, that verse cannot mean anything different to us than the ones that were the first hearers, the ones that heard it. That's just correct biblical interpretation. And so when we study the culture, the context of Laodicea, also we learn some things. We learned that in Laodicea they had, for their water supply, they had two main springs that they would use for their water supply. One was a hot spring. And one was this hot spring. The water was at a boiling point, and so it was useful. They could use it for sterilizing and washing of dishes, bathing. They could use it for cooking, 
They could use it for sterilizing other utensils and all that stuff. And so they would use the hot spring for that. Then there was another spring in Laodicea that was a cold water spring. And so in the cold water spring, it was was sterile because it was running at a great rate, and so it didn't have any disease or didn't have any, any harmful bacteria, anything like that. And so it was useful for drinking water. They could mix it with the hot water for bathing, and they could use it for cooling things and all of these other things. And then they had this stag- almost stagnant water supply that was lukewarm. And in the lukewarm water was bacteria and disease and infection. And if they ever accidentally got a cup or got a glass of that and took a drink and it was lukewarm, then they knew it was not useful. fact is, it was hurtful, and they would spit it out of their mouth. So here's what Jesus said. Now that we know the culture, now that we know the context, here's what Jesus said. Jesus simply saying this. Man, I know your works. And they're not useful. Man, I, I don't care. I don't care if you're hot for sterilization and bathing and cooking. I don't care if you're cold that brings refreshment and nourishment and all that. That's your choice. But you're lukewarm. You're doing nothing. You serve no purpose. You have no passion. You have no intensity. And what Paul is saying is, our relationship to him should give us such passion and such intensity that we just we want to serve him and it should be contagious to where people around us you don't have to be noisy to be contagious it can be within how god has wired you and your personality but to where others know that we're we're christ's followers because of our love for one another and he goes on he says and so do not be lazy in zeal In other words, don't be like that lukewarm water. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So so maybe the the answer is, and maybe the question is, is how do you get get this enthusiasm? The enthusiasm comes from a relationship with with God, and this passion comes from his relationship. And and because because when you look at this, some some of the most unloving people are people without any passion in their life. And they just become apathetic. And a church that has a lot of love has a lot of believers that make up the body, that have a lot of passion towards contagious, whether it's in worship or whether it's in serving him in the community or whether it's in life groups or other places. So the question is, well, well, how do you, maybe the question is, how do you keep this enthusiasm? You know what the Bible says? The fact is, Paul answered that. And Paul says the way you keep this enthusiasm is just by serving, serving the Lord. I mean, In other words, he says, how you keep this enthusiasm is understanding that you're serving the Lord and not people. That's why a lot of people blow out of ministry. That's why a lot of people blow out of church. That's why a lot of people will walk away from church when they've been hurt by someone or disappointed by someone or betrayed by someone, and they walk away, and they say, never again will I be involved in ministry. Never again will I serve as a life group leader, an usher, a greeter, or whatever. I'm done with that. It's because they have built this false belief, and the false belief is I'm serving people. And you're not serving people. When you serve here at Fellowship the Rockies, you are not serving a pastor. You're not serving a church. Fact is, you're not serving people. Fact is, do you realize I'm not serving people? 
Serving the Lord. See, if you build this false belief that all of a sudden you're serving people, then when people let you down, oh, and they will, right? Because we're all human. We're all imperfect. And when people let you down, your whole foundation is rocked. And so what Paul is saying is, the way you keep this enthusiasm, the way you keep this passion, some of the passionate followers that I know are serving the Lord, are deeply involved in ministry. Listen, a church should not have to compete for your involvement. I mean, it, it isn't a, like a fraternity or sorority rush week. You are baptized into the body of Christ. And as a result of that, because we're a part of the body, we just serve Him. And we understand that we're serving Him and not people. When I was in engineering, there was a favorite verse of mine, Colossians 3.23, that just, just radically changed my life. In fact, is I still use this verse today in ministry, so whether it's in the secular world or where it's in ministry, Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily. In other words, don't do anything half-hearted. Don't do anything halfway. And how do you keep that passion? How do you, how do you maintain that? Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. In other words, he was saying, do you realize whatever you do, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your profession, whether it's in your career, whether it's in church, as a believer, whatever you do, you realize I am working for the Lord, not for men. I serve the Lord, not men. It, it's a total game changer when you understand because right in the professional world, there's a lot of hurts. People are uh, passed over for a promotion. People are evaluated incorrectly. People are. There are some injustices in the world. There are some things that are unfair. There are some things that are set unfair. And if you believe you're working for men, even in your secular job, you will be destroyed. And you will get discouraged. And it will suck the passion out of your life. And Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, understand, you are not serving men. You are serving the Lord. In fact, is Colossians 3.24 goes on and says, whatever you do, work wholeheartedly. Work heartily towards it because you are serving the Lord, not men. And I, the Lord, will reward you. Wouldn't you rather ha have him reward you who is an honest judge? And man, and that's why he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Leighton Ford, Billy Graham's brother-in-law, went to meet Mother Teresa. He had one question that he wanted to ask Mother Teresa. He traveled all the way to Calcutta, and he looked at Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and he looked at her, and he says, okay, so I got one question that I want to ask you, and I'll quote Mother Teresa's answer here in a second. And he says, here's what I want to ask you. I, I just need to know, how have you kept your enthusiasm all of these years how have you kept your passion all of these years I mean look at this place poor people is hungry and starvation and debris everywhere and dirty and difficult living circumstances and, and isolation and all of this stuff and I just got to know I got to know the answer to that how did you keep your passion I mean this is so simple but so profound and, and, and here's what she says and I quote she says we do our work for the Lord and with the Lord and to the Lord. That's how I've kept my passion. I get it. 
I understand I am not serving man. I am not serving people. I am serving him and him alone. The last killer B is this, is that if we're going to have contagious loving relationships in a church, if we're going to have contagious loving relationships in the families and the relationships around us, the last thing is this, is that we have to be positive. And Paul begins to unpack this at verse 12. We're only going to look at the first phrase this week. And so he just says, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And, <coughs> excuse me. In other words, if you're going to have loving relationships, you're going to grow a loving church, then three things have to be there. It has to be positive, patient, and there has, to be, there has to be prayer. Paul said this. Paul said, Rejoice in hope. So let me ask you, so how can we as Christians remain hopeful in this world when we're having seismic shifts in our culture. I mean, we're watching seismic shifts with the government. We're watching seismic shifts politically. We're watching seismic shifts with the media. We're watching seismic shifts worldwide. And it seems like they're coming faster and faster and stronger and stronger every day. And so the question is, well, how is we as believers, how can we remain hopeful how can we have, how can we be contagious? How can we be positive? Do you not understand what's going on in our world? Do you not understand how difficult it is? And so Paul answers that. fact is he gives seven re- reasons in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read these seven different verses. This is just straight out of the Word of God. And I'm going to read these seven different verses as we just, we close this morning. And so here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 8, one of the most encouraging books of the whole Bible. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 26, likewise the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. how How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So why should Christians be positive? Why should we have this contagious spirit for us? Because of what Romans chapter 8 tells us, that in Christ, when we have a relationship with him, there is no condemnation. He has set us free from the fear of death. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit who indwells us prays for us in our greatest needs. When we have those groanings and when those times that we don't even know what to pray, we don't even know how to pray, the scripture says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The scripture teaches that we may not like it, we may not like what's going on, it may seem difficult what's going on in our life, but the scripture teaches that He is working all things, not some things, all things for our good. It says, as the scripture says, that if God is for us, then who could even be against us? That he wants to provide for our needs. And that, listen, when you're in Christ, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even yourself. That we are his child. 
The Scripture teaches that as believers, we can be contagious and we can be positive in a world that is just looking for hope. Fact is, this world hungry for hope. 